This week, we welcome back Marcelo Salvati. He's a security analyst at our sponsor, of course, Black Hills Information Security. He's going to give us some updates on his post-exploitation tool, Silent Trinity. Shh, 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 silent. In the second interview, we welcome Steve Brown. He's the keynote speaker at Secure World Boston 2019, and he'll be discussing his talk all about building your strategic roadmap for the next wave of digital transformation. In the security news, password managers are leaking data in memory. Security analysts are only human. Splunk changes, uh, changes position of Russian customers. Google admits error over a hidden, air quotes, hidden <laughs> mic- microphone. And a nasty code execution bug in WinRAR that threatened millions of users for 14 years. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. Organizations' internal networks are overly permissive and can't distinguish trusted from untrusted applications. Attackers abuse this condition to move laterally through networks bypassing address-based controls to spread malware. Edgewise abstracts security policies away from traditional network controls that rely on IP addresses, ports, and protocols, and instead ties controls directly to applications. Edgewise allows organizations to analyze the network attack surface and segment workloads based on the software and how it's communicated. Edgewise monitors applications and protects data paths using zero-trust segmentation. Visit edgewise.net forward slash security weekly to get your free month of visibility. Some restrictions apply. Are you an enterprise dissatisfied with overpriced analytics software that can't keep up with modern data? If so, then GraphWell is the solution for you. GraphWell is an unstructured data analytics platform for enterprises who demand total data visibility across their network. GraphWell lets your security team go beyond the SIM and fuse data sources to correlate and answer questions you didn't know needed to be asked. Go to graphwell.io forward slash security weekly for an unlimited data trial and gain uncompromising visibility today. And welcome to the show! But first, let me introduce you to a man who is a fan of lots of things, including tacos on Tuesday, Mr. Paul Sidorian. Welcome to Paul's Security Weekly. This is episode 595. We're recording on February 21st, 2019. We are in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, and by we, I mean myself and the Mm -hmm. illustrious Larry Pesce. Yes, yes, yes I am. Talking about our network woes, yeah. we did, both did some recabling lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine, my, mine, because I ripped out the floor in my office and put new ones in, and went looked under my desk and went, "What the hell happened?" Right, like physical infrastructure is still a thing. I feel like yeah. we get caught up in talking about cloud and containers mm-hmm. and serverless and all that stuff, but like, you, there's still like you still have a computer, then right, you, and power and, and, and DNS servers. I mean, those are important. Yep. <laughs> And like maybe cables to your monitor if you use those. Yes. And, oh. Still, that stuff is yeah. UPSs, mm-hmm. power strips. Absolutely. Uh. Welcome to my world. And, yep. 
on the lines so remotely. We've got Lee Neely who wants to comment on physical infrastructure. Welcome, Lee. Hey, good to be here from uh, from snowy Idaho. And uh, you know, don't forget while you're setting up your computer infrastructure to have your your zombie defenses ready as well. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Like your chainsaw. Attenuation by chainsaw. What? And fire extinguishers <laughs> by the exit. Very important. So you can escape. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. My HVAC guy he walked in. He's like, well, you got a fire extinguisher. That's great. He's like, but it's like in the corner over there. He's like, how, what, how, how is that going to work? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why they're at the exits. It's important. Uh, also on the lines, from the massage parlor, Mr. Jason Wood is here with us. Jason, welcome. Hey, good to be back with everybody again. Yes. Nice to have you, my friend. Uh, also uh, from the, the wine cellar, I guess, drinking a martini, Mr. Matt Alderman is here. Matt, welcome. It, it's a man. Manhattan. I was going to say, I once I saw the color, I didn't see the color. I just saw the glass. Yes. Yeah, no dirty martinis until next week when I'm back in studio. But, oh, sweet. Uh, tonight. Nice, nice. I love dirty martinis. Uh, is, there, is there anyone else? Joff, I was going to say, there's someone not on the screen. Dirty. Yes, we have, we speaking, have of, speaking of dirty, speaking of dirty, Mr. Joff Dyer is here with us. That's a great segue, Larry. Wow, what an intro! He was going to totally leave me out. Um, so uh, it was dirty Vespa. That was what I was thinking of. Oh yeah, those are good too. Those are hard to make. We, That's a very, I find a very difficult cocktail to get right. When you get it right, it's very rewarding. Uh, getting it right is takes some trial and error. And if you don't get it right, it's really bad. Like it tastes horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I've made when some you bad do, ones. When you, when you do get it right, you go running around downtown Boston telling everybody the new Joff Me Off recipe. <laughs> the dirty Vespa. We need to bring uh, some of those cocktails back. Mm-hmm. We, we all do have cocktails named after us. Most of us, anyway. All righty. Uh, RSA conference, of course. Uh, I know RSA is getting closer when I look at my inbox. It is just flooded with all kinds of requests to events and uh, briefings and talks and announcements, all kinds of stuff happening uh, at RSA. Of course, March 4th through the 8th, you can go to rsaconference.com forward slash security weekly dash US19. Register using our discount code 5U9SWFD. That's five uniform, that's Fiverr uniform, Niner Sierra Whiskey Foxtrot Delta. Get you $100 off. The conference passed. You can also book a briefing with us at RSA or InfoSec World. Uh, I think even Black Hat is up there if you really want to get ahead of it. But all you have to do is go to securityweekly.com forward slash conference request. There you can request a free briefing with us. Matt and I have a long list of briefings to start going through and picking and choosing which ones. As not all are accepted, it's based on the discretion of uh, the host slash analysts that uh, are attending in RSA, it's going to be Matt Alderman and myself. You can also book a paid interview as well. And those will air on Enterprise Security Weekly, which is a great opportunity if you one of the thousand vendors that are attending RSA and you want the security community to actually hear what problems you solve and how you do it, uh, an interview with us is a good thing to do. Securityweekly.com forward slash conference request. Hey, Paul. Yes. Uh, I think we're close to 90, and we're closing down submissions on Friday at 3 o'clock Eastern. Gotcha. So that's tomorrow at 3 Eastern time. Gotcha. So get in get in while you still can. Marcelo is here with us. 
He returns uh, to the show. He is a security analyst, a security consultant, rather, for Black Hills Information Security. Uh, of course, you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS. That's securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS. And that will take you to their landing page where we're going to archive all of the technical segments, include extra little tidbits of content and cheat sheets and slides and all kinds of goodies there at securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS. Marcelo, you're back this evening to talk about Silent Trinity, which is an ironic statement in and of itself, but you're here nonetheless to talk about it. See? He's silent. <laughs> See? Yeah, so, Marcelo, I, we've received a lot of great feedback about your previous segment. Um, Security Weekly listeners can, can go back and listen uh, to where you described that. Uh, go to the, uh, the landing page, and we'll have links there, uh, securityweekly.com slash BHIS. That way you just have to remember one URL, uh, and you can check out Silent Trinity. I have to say that when I talk about the techniques that you have implemented in that project, Marcelo, a lot of the security vendors that are providing defensive tools, um, you know, it's an interesting conversation. I don't want to say there's no coverage, right? But it sparks very interesting conversations about how security tools are being implemented, more importantly, how they're being configured today. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this time around, um, I'll do a much better job at explaining like how the tool works in general. Uh, I've sort of been learning C Sharp along the way as well. So when I was first on here, there was some things about C Sharp and the way um, like Silent Trinity did things that I didn't even completely understand because I wasn't really looking into the lower level aspects of .NET. So this time around, hopefully it's my chance of redemption. So I'll hopefully um, be explaining things a lot better and hopefully by by the end of this any everyone will have an understanding of like how the tool works and we'll we'll also be covering some detection mechanisms as well that I've I've recently discovered. Sweet, let's get right into it. Awesome. Okay, so uh I'm gonna share my screen here real quick. If I can find the button this is, for it. This is where us hosts are supposed to fill time. Yes, exactly. Who's mm, Phil? Phil McCracken? He's a, no. he's a good good friend of mine, Phil. Irish yeah. cousin. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> and, and Pat also. It's my other Irish cousin. Pat McCracken? McGroin. Oh, Pat McCracken. The cousins. Okay. The gotcha. cousins, Larry. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I mean it's Ireland, so they could have been brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I think Marcelo has figured out how to share his screen, thankfully. Oh. <laughs> Wait. Uh, okay. Well, we'll just do it like this. Okay. So, um, before we start, uh, delving into like how the tool works, we sort of have to all be on the same page of some key.net framework concepts, uh, just because it, to completely understand the way iron Python talks to.net and everything, we have to understand like how.net framework actually works. Right. So, uh, we have the.net framework, which is just a set of libraries and uh, engines that allow Microsoft or really anybody to build a programming language on top of the framework itself, right? Uh, we also have a bunch of languages that Microsoft officially supports. So .NET languages that Microsoft officially supports. So like a perfect example of this is C Sharp, PowerShell, VB.NET, F Sharp, 
and uh, a lot of others that I probably missed. So these are .NET languages. So these are officially supported .NET languages built on top of the Microsoft.NET framework. The thing is, there are also a bunch of third-party uh, .NET languages, such as Iron Python, Boolang, which is somewhat of a more like a little bit lesser known uh, .NET language, Iron Ruby, and actually a recent one that I've just discovered is JavaScript.NET. Now that I've been looking into this area, I, I seem to be able to find a new .NET language almost every other day. Um, so like as the name would imply, like Iron Python is just like a Python implementation on top of the .NET framework. Boolang is so just like a... Marcelo, .NET is, has been around for a really long time. It was uh, some vulnerabilities, I think, early on in Microsoft's time with it. But it is essentially allows you to take a language and make it so that you can write a web application with it, right? Is that the purpose of the framework? Well, so not necessarily. So it, it can do that too. But I think at its core, um, what it's meant to do is just provide an abstraction layer for people to build programming languages on top of. I got so, like, so not necessarily web-enabled, but any yeah, language. Yeah, no, like okay. actual languages. So like it provides just like a set of libraries and APIs and, and engines. This is like a really high level, yeah. like I'm sharing this explanation. But like this, this, it's essentially just like a way of abstracting a bunch of stuff so that people can easily implement languages on top of. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and, and so one of, the, one of the key implications of this is that since the all of these languages are built on top of the same framework uh they are all interoperable with each other well that's interesting so like each language has a set of libraries i'm getting an echo from you marcelo but each language has a set of libraries that basically hook it into the .NET framework so that they can do windows stuff or web stuff if that's the application right Yes, yeah, that's correct. But I think in in this particular case, um, Silent Trinity, from Silent Trinity's perspective, the tool that I'll be demoing, uh, the more interesting implication of this is that all of them are interoperable with each other, which means that you can embed these languages which it, within one another, and things will just work. So, yeah, so you could embed multiple libraries from multiple different languages to in, install, put that in one binary. And then when it runs, you have all that functionality. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and the, from like an offensive perspective, doing this, like, so the reason why PowerShell was such a rage uh, and still is to a certain extent is that um, it provided a, so PowerShell was built into every Windows operating system by default and it was a scripted interface to .NET. So like operationally from like an offensive perspective, from an offensive red team and pen testing perspective, that's sort of like the holy grail because you have uh, all of the power of the .NET framework, which allows you to go as high as you want, as low as you want, and allows you to do all of the good stuff that as pen, pen testers like doing and red teamers like doing, like injecting shell code and reflectively loading uh, portable executables, that kind of thing, right? And it, it was a scripted interface to it. So you could take advantage of all of the advantages that uh, a scripting languages has like refl it's reflective that like it's reflective properties and all that stuff um, by default on windows now the problem is everyone started abusing this right and microsoft at a certain point said okay i'm going to put a stop to all of this and um implemented a bunch of defenses in the powershell runtime now the 
another another key concept to understand is that these defenses like AMSI, script block logging, uh, transcription logging, like uh, constrained language mode, all of these defenses are only built in the PowerShell runtime as of right now. Okay, as of right now, they are only built into the PowerShell runtime. They are not built into the underlying framework itself. Okay, so what that means is that in order to bypass all of those defenses, all you really need to do is just jump language, is just change .NET language. So this is why you see, you see all of these tools coming out recently built in C Sharp, right? Because it, like, people have just started saying, screw all this, I'm, I don't want to deal with any of these defenses, I'm just going to just code everything in C Sharp because you can still interact with the .NET framework that way. Uh, and not worry about any of the defenses that PowerShell has in place. And the thing is also is that since uh, since like you can do that with C Sharp and they're all based on the same framework, you can do that with Iron Python. You can do that with Iron Ruby. And the advantage of doing this with Iron Python is that it's a scripting language as opposed to a uh, compiled language. So operationally, like C Sharp has a bunch of things that you have to take into consideration. You have to keep compiling stuff over time. There's like a there's a huge overhead in setting up a development environment. So like it's it's great from some aspects, but like a scripting language just makes things a lot easier. And this is really that the uh, at the core at the the core concept that Sound Trinity uses is because all of these languages are interoperable with each other. You can embed Iron Python within C Sharp. You can embed Iron Python within PowerShell. You can embed Iron Ruby within Boolang within PowerShell within C Sharp. Like you can do crazy stuff like this. And incredibly enough, like this is basically what we've been doing for a long time. Like this isn't something new. It's sort of like a new spin on something that we've been doing for a long time because we've so, been doing yeah, this already. So Marcelo, so you can write some Iron Ruby that interfaces with .NET and inside of your Iron Ruby, you can call Iron Python. Yes, technically, yes, you can. You have to deal with, some dependencies issue with like some uh, assembly resolving issues, which we won't get into because that's that's like beyond the scope of this. But um, and I actually Black Hills actually did an awesome webinar about this last week. I did a webinar about this last week that dived a little bit into the technical details of how to actually do this. So definitely, if like the listen uh, the viewers are interested in uh, the more of the little technical aspects, that you can definitely go see that. And hopefully by the time this airs, it should be on our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, so essentially that's basically it. So you can embed Iron Python within PowerShell and it'll work. You can also like do all this crazy stuff. So like the, the Silent Trinity stager, PowerShell stager has a, is a PowerShell script that embeds a, a C-sharp executable that itself, that the C-sharp executable embeds an Iron Python engine. So it's like three layers deep of embedding. Right. And it, it just keeps going on like that. And we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we've been doing this in, in tools like Powerline or not PowerShell NPS. So it's just a C sharp binary, right? That embeds the PowerShell runtime. So it's you can just embed the PowerShell runtime within a C sharp binary. You can do the reverse. You can copy and paste C sharp code, paste it in a PowerShell script, and call this magic add type function that just allows you to call all of the code that you put into that C sharp class. Now, in Marcelo, in, in embedding these languages via .NET. Um, uh, how does that give you an advantage of evading detection? Well, th this is the this is the thing, right? So, 
all of the defenses right now are concentrated in the PowerShell runtime, okay? They're not built into the underlying .NET framework. So in order to, to come, and there are no optics built into the .NET framework itself. So like the underlying framework doesn't have any optics built into it to allow like EDR solutions or really anything to hook into it and like see if any malicious code is running. It's just not, that there isn't a way of doing that right now with the exception of like some really hacky ways of doing things like ETW, which we'll get into a little bit um, if we have time, but like there aren't any uh, things, there aren't any APIs or optics in place to allow security solutions to hook into the underlying framework. Right now, all of the defenses are built into the actual PowerShell runtime. Mm. So the minute you switch .NET language, you're bypassing all of the defenses that are built into the PowerShell runtime because you're talking to .NET through another language, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That's interesting. So we've been doing this for a long time uh, with PowerShell and C Sharp, but you can do this with Iron Python and C Sharp. And that's exactly what Silent Trinity does. So at the core of what's of Silent Trinity is the, is the C Sharp stager, which essentially just takes an Iron Python engine, uh, adds some like magic sauce to it so that um, you can run an Iron Python script natively on Windows without actually installing Iron Python, because obviously that would probably that would be like a, a big downside to it if you had to actually install Iron Python. So it adds some magic to like the C sharp stager and embeds an Iron Python engine, right? And that's exactly what Silent Trinity does. Now, um, before like when I released this at DerbyCon, it was sort of like a proof concept code. Um, I called it beerware. And it was essentially that for a long time. Um, recently, I had finally had the time to actually add stuff that would make it operational. Like you could actually use it on a gig now, which is kind of cool. Um, so first off, like the the entire C2 communication is encrypted. So like the staging process and the C2 communication are all encrypted using Elliptic Curve Diffie-Hillman key exchange. Um, so it uses public key exchange. It derives a shared key, all of that. Everything's encrypted. So that's great. It also includes Boolang support. So Boolang is another one of those .NET languages. The problem with using Iron Python within a C-sharp binary is that unfortunately has a very key limitation, which is you can't call low-level Win32 APIs unless you embed the standard library with it. Um, unfortunately, the standard library is like eight megabytes. So you'd basically have like a, a C-sharp binary, which would be like nine megabytes that you'd have to drop on disk, which is not ideal. Um, so the way around that is just to implement, is just to embed another language that has built-in support for that. So that's where Boolang comes in. So Boolang allows you to basically just import native functions inside, dynamically import native functions uh, through Boolang itself through an embedded C-sharp binary. Huh. Is, it, it just keeps, it's like engine inception. It just keeps, it just keeps going like this. Um, also the Clyde tab completes all the things now because when you get a session back, you get this long string, which kind of sucks if you have to sort of type it all the time. Uh, and you can customize the check-in interval that the sessions check in to. And there's also now a help menu function, which kind of comes in handy if you're using it for the first time. So I'm going to demo this real quick, and um, let's see if I can. Is my am I still showing the slides? You are. Okay, let's see if I can change that. This is where we invoke Phil again. 
Yep, definitely. Uh huh. Good buddy, Phil. <laughs> <sighs> what do you think, Larry? I don't know. Are you using this on pen test yet? I have not. <clears throat> okay, I stopped the share. We got the Let's echo the going again too. Huh? Ah, maybe that's what I did wrong. Okay. Okay, there you go. Okay, so now you should see my screen. Yes, we can. Hell yeah, brother. Sweet. Yay, Phil. <laughs> and let's see if I can make this bigger. Okay, clear all that out. That's not, don't, don't look at that. Stop. Okay, there you go. Perfect. All right. Um, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, once you download Sound Trinity, you just install it using a, this, like, as you always would with like a standard Python uh, program. Um, it's got uh, the concept, you know, like resource Metasploit resource files. You could just like put cli commands on each line of a file. Mm -hmm. So it does that as well. So you got, I just have a little file here that just goes to the listener menu, starts a, mo a uh, listener up, HTTPS listener up. And just goes over to the module menu. So that's that's essentially what that does. And ooh, don't ask again. This is interesting. Okay. I don't know what that is. No. Um, okay. So I'm just gonna start Sound Trinity up, and I'm just gonna give it that resource file. And the font is really huge here, so it's not gonna look as pretty as it does. But uh, we start a listener. And we're good to go. Now, um, once we do that, there are a bunch of stagers that we can use now. So um, originally, there was just like the MS build and Wimix stager. Now there's the PowerShell stager, uh, which you can use to like uh, get a stager through PowerShell, as the name would imply. I'm just going to use the MS build stager because it's probably like the neatest one in terms of um, in terms of like its capabilities because it's also a whitelisting bypass. And this was a, a a uh, method discovered by Subti. And the way you just generate the stager is really simply just the, with the generate command, and then you just give it a listener name. So uh, I need to actually use the stager first. And it, it does tab complete all things, which is great. And uh, we started a listener called HTTPS, so I'm just going to give it that, and there you go. So it generated our MS build stager, which is just an XML file that executes some C-sharp code, which starts the whole staging process. And I already copied that file already over here, just for because I don't trust demos. Um, and to start it up, all you really need is to copy and paste the command that the server gives you here. So copy and paste that into here, and I'm gonna also make this very big. We're old now, Marcelo. We need big yes, fonts. Mm -hmm. uh, we, all, we all need big fonts. <laughs> and there you go. So now we're ready to go. We just do that. And it does its thing. Now, just to unpack what happened here a bit from the output, um, the MS Build Stager already contained like the URL that you need to call back to. So like you really just need to execute that command. Once it does that, it performs the key exchange, it derives a key, it downloads the encrypted zip file. 
because Iron Python and Boolang require some DLLs that are not installed on Windows by default, it needs to resolve those somehow. Those, zip, those DLL files are in the zip file that it downloads. So it just automatically resolves those from the zip file. And then it starts a Python file within the zip file also, which is the actual main stager logic. This and Marcelo, really, it, it does all that in memory, right? These DLLs are loaded into memory, not on disk. Yeah, yeah but exactly. This is mm-hmm. all in memory. Um, and we're going it, to... There's some actual some downsides to that when you're talking about .NET stuff. And we'll talk about that after like I just show you some, uh, some modules. So once we uh, get this a stager going, we got a new session. And from there, we could just go over to the sessions menu and we got a, uh, we can just list them out. Uh, this is somewhat new. You can actually get like a lot of information. Like, so when it, the, the uh, session actually calls back, it just gives you a bunch of information. So like if you're used to Empire or Metasploit, it's similar to that. Uh, and it gives you sort of like process information, domain, all that stuff. Um, and then you can actually run modules. Now, with the new update, since it integrates Boolang, uh, there are now Iron Python modules and Boolang modules, which is really cool because now you can um, interact with low-level uh, Win32 APIs, such as like um, mini dump, write dump. So, like the, the mini dump commands here, I'm going to show you that in a second. That essentially just um, creates a process a memory dump of the LSAS process to disk, plain and simple. And this is useful for like getting around some Mimikatz limitations or uh, just like for more AV evasion. Um, so like, uh, let's say, let's, for example, let's execute like a, a sh- the shell command. How about that? So you go over to sessions, uh, the uh, shell module, set the command to like a stupid, uh, stupid example of like who am I slash groups. How about that? Okay. So we got that. And then uh, this is where the auto completion comes in handy because you, you previously had to type out this long string, which is not ideal. So now you just give it the first string and just auto-completes for you, which is fantastic. Nice. And there you go. So um, it sent down a Python file, which contained all of the logic to actually start a process up, get the output, and send it back. And after it does that, it just sends it back and it decrypts the output, and there you go. So that's the, the output of the just the whoi slash groups command. Uh, but now, since we have... Um, Marcelo, those... Those commands are still run like on the domain. Like if you're monitoring Active Directory, you're, even though programmatically it happened very different on the host than normal, in Active Directory, you're still seeing that someone queried a group or whatever. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely, definitely. Um, this, is, this right now is just running the whoami command. But like if you did something like net view or net user slash domain or whatever, um, yeah, definitely. Like you would still see that query happening. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you can, you can do like, uh, a lot more interesting stuff because you have access to, uh, all of the capabilities that PowerShell would have, right? So like you can inject Mimikatz, for example, um, 
or let's try, how about internal monologue? How about that? And I think I showed this last time too, but it's, it's, it's just such a cool attack that um, it'd be worth showing again. So internal monologue basically just grabs the net NTLM v1 or v2 hash, depending on if you're admin or not, of the current user or of every user um, logged into the machine, if, depending if you're admin or not. So once we got that, tell it to run. And there you go. So that's, that's actually, I'm not running in an elevated process. So I'm actually going to start up a new one running in an elevated process. So I have to show you Mimikatz now. But that is my net NTLMv2 hash. And uh, before I, yeah, let's just start up PowerShell here as administrator. And this is, by the way, like I'm, I'm running this with Windows Defender on. Uh, let's go over to virus threat protection settings. So the only thing turned off is automatic sample submission because I really don't want uh, my malware being sent to Microsoft. So, and this is really small again. That's what she said. There you go. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <clears throat> oh. That's also what she said. <laughs> All right. If you're playing along at home, that's two. That's what she said in this episode. In this, yeah, so there you go. Maybe three. You might have one in the beginning of the show. So now we got another session here, hopefully. Yes, there you go. So we got another session here. That's running in a high integrity context, sort of like Empire. Like it'll put an asterisk if it is running in a high integrity context. Uh, context next to the username here, so that's um, that comes in handy. So let's head over to the Mimi Cats module here. Uh, I use Mimi Cats, and run that. And we're not, oh yeah, that's because I didn't run it on the right session. That helps. Oh man, demos. Yes. I mean, live demos are always great because you run into this stuff. And there you go. So now we run Mimikatz on the machine. Um, and as you probably noticed, like Defender didn't crap his pants because it didn't detect it at all. And we got all of the plain text passwords that we want. now. Um, one thing to note here is that if you run the PowerShell stager, Windows Defender now just detects. So like if you, if you touch LSAS in any way from any PowerShell process, Windows Defender automatically flags that as a behavioral thing, as a heuristics uh, detection thing. So um, you really have to take into consideration like what stager you use. The, all the PowerShell stuff that's currently implemented in Silent Trinity is there just for posterity's sake and just to make things a little bit more convenient because technically by using PowerShell, you're sort of defeating the purpose of using this tool in the first place. So there's that. Um, and you can also, like now, you can also like inject shellcode, do a bunch of stuff um, with WinRM, which I'm actually sort of still working out the bugs there. Uh, but technically, like you can use that to move laterally with PowerShell remoting. 
Um, there's a bunch of stuff that I, I'd, I'd like to see implemented in here, in here as well. Also, if you're like familiar with the execute assembly, uh, the execute assembly command and Cobalt Strike, that's essentially what um, this does. It just runs a .NET assembly. And again, this is all possible because like all of these languages are interoperable with each other because you can run C Sharp within Iron Python, within PowerShell. You can do all of that good stuff. Um, and just to show you, I guess like a visual. So I'm going to run the mouse shaker module in, in Boolang. It's a Boolang module that just shakes your mouse because why not? Everybody needs that mouse shaking. Yeah. And also, I'm sort of preparing for uh, RMCCDC. So I'm running a bunch of troll modules for this just so I can completely wreck everybody. This is a great CCDC mm -hmm. set of yep. <clears throat> No, Shaking okay. the mouse could that could really suck. Yep, and just remember, yeah. just wipe their their VMs and uh, install Red Star. <laughs> what is Red Star? That's the the official Chinese Linux. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Or was it North Korean? China? Something like One that. Of it was North Korea, like, I think. Look, look yeah. at his mouse pointer guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So now you got the mouse shaking. And again, this is possible because like with Boolang, you can. Uh, inject like really, you can uh, call low-level Win32 API calls. Uh, just like it's like the DLL import. If you're familiar with C Sharp, it's it could be equivalent of like the DLL import attribute um, that you can use in C Sharp. Now, are there any issues? So I did some testing on this using uh, Command.exe as well as PowerShell, mm -hmm. and found yeah. that it worked pretty well for things like Mimi Cats and whatnot. But if you run into some of these modules that would not work unless they're run inside of PowerShell.exe? Yeah, so, okay, so right now, um, so the way Silent Trinity resolves the assemblies needed in order to do everything, there's actually a bug in, in this version. Uh, I, actually, I fixed it, but I just have to still work out some kinks. Uh, there's a bug in the version on GitHub that uh, fails to resolve some PowerShell-related assemblies. Um, so like if you try to run like the PowerShell module right now, it won't work because it, it just says like, I can't find the PowerShell module, the PowerShell assembly that I need. So it just craps out. Um, but I fixed that, I got it working. The thing is I also want to implement uh, the functionality of running Iron Python engines within dot, different .NET app domains. And what I mean by that, if you're not familiar with C Sharp, I'm going to show you that right now because I think it's pretty interesting. So let me minimize all of this. So let's take a look at Process Explorer here. So whenever you start a process that uh, uses .NET in any way, uh, you automatically load a default app domain. So an app domain, you can think of the app, an app domain just like a box. Um, whenever uh, you try to load any sort of .NET assembly slash DLL, uh, .NET automatically puts those DLLs inside that box so that for like performance reasons, because otherwise you'd have to keep like calling, referencing the assembly on disk all the time. So it would just like be an enormous impact. Um, so it automatically puts them in an app domain and you can query, if you have administrator rights, you can query um, that app domain for all of the loaded assemblies. And this is sort of a detection mechanism right now because uh, through stuff like ETW, which is event tracing for Windows, or through like some PowerShell scripts that have been put out recently, 
um, you can actually go and query for these loaded assemblies. I don't know if this is, I don't know if there's a way of making this bigger, unfortunately, but um, you, in this, if you click on the process in which Silent Trinity is running right now, you'll see like the actual name Silent Trinity, the assembly that's loaded. You'll see like a bunch of, uh, you'll, see, you'll see like the Sharpsploit library, which is what Silent Trinity uses to load Mimikatz and a bunch of the Iron Python assemblies as well. Now, this is sort of, because there are no optics in .NET right now, um, there really isn't a way, a good way of collecting this information at scale. So all of the stuff that can be used to like enumerate these assemblies in memory um, is sort of like, it's, it's like really hacky and like, in a, it's not something that you can use in an organization. So like you can't collect this information at scale. Um, so, and this is one of the texture mechanisms. The thing is also, but like you can load an Iron Python engine within a separate app domain, technically. I've run into a bunch of bugs trying to do this because this area of Iron Python has not been fleshed out as much as it needs to be. Um, and you can technically load Iron Python in a separate app domain, which gets unloaded every time a module executes. So you wouldn't see like the Mimikatz assembly being loaded. You wouldn't see uh, like the Silent Trinity assembly being loaded because it's just in a separate app domain and which gets completely destroyed and garbage collected after it executes. So it, you basically only see the assemblies there running for as long as a module executes, and then it gets completely destroyed afterwards. And that's just one detection mechanism. Like there are a bunch of others. Like I think right now this is sort of the main one because so yeah, like if we go back to the slides here. So right now there because there isn't a lot of. Um, of, there aren't any of these optics that we need in order for like security solutions to to actually dig into .NET framework and see what if there's any malicious code running, right? Like the, they're all of the solutions right now sort of iffy at best. Like the so .NET 4.8 does have AMSI integration, but it's in the really beta phase right now. Um, it has what what integration? AMSI. So like the same technology that sort of uh, tries to do uh, tries to detect malicious PowerShell scripts. Microsoft has started introducing that into the .NET framework itself, so the underlying gotcha. framework. Now, the problem with that is, there's a bunch of problems with that. The first one, in my mind, is that, like, you, so say that .NET 4.8, when .NET 4.8 gets released, most Windows endpoints will still have .NET 4.5. So it's like, an, it's like a, the same thing that happened with PowerShell, right? Like, we, we were, everything was running on .NET 2.0 or 3 which didn't have AMSI, and then .NET 4.5 came along, and Windows 10 had .NET 4.5 by default. So unless Microsoft forces an update on all Windows 10 machines, which it could, knowing Microsoft, knowing Microsoft, that's definitely a possibility, um, organizations would have to manually go in and update the .NET version on every Windows machine, which, I mean, could break some stuff. I don't, I mean, technically, but I don't know. Uh, and plus that's, I feel like that would be a lot of work. So. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of unknowns with that one. There's a lot of scripts that have been put out by Manifestation and Cobber IO, uh, which work at SpectreOps, uh, abusing ETW, which is like a low-level logging mechanism, which is basically the only way that we've found so far to detect this kind of stuff in real time. Um, Crab's ETW is, is essentially like a C++ wrapper on top of ETW. So if you want to build a tool 
that collects this stuff. You you can build it in C++, but the level of effort with that is somewhat uh, pretty high. Um, yeah, because then also- basically any any program that's using the .NET framework is going to get logged by that. For, by that yeah, yeah essentially yeah. yeah so that so that would be right now the having uh crabs right now it, it w <laughs> yeah which oh my god yeah don't even get me started with that um <laughs> having, having crabs really would suck, crabs <laughs> would suck yes but <laughs> crabs so this is this tool essentially is like is is a good starting point for like actually building something that an organization could use to detect this type of tradecraft but Again, like it's it's just like a building block. It's it's not a ready to use thing. Um, so you'd have to build it yourself, which you know, I mean, is possible for certain organizations, but I doubt a lot of people will be doing that. Yeah, um, no, those, but then you, I mean, implementing it's one thing, Marcelo, and then parsing all the resulting logs. Yeah, exactly. And there are yeah, that's another thing too. Like you you get like log. Uh, yeah, what's the technical term for it? Like too many lines, like it, d- distinguishing like the the actual signal from the noise, right? <clears throat> right. Logs. Um, because a lot of things use .NET, like a lot. Um, so there's that as well. Plus, there's like some code. There's um, there's this blog post that I found from Countercept, which is a uh, MWR company, which um, did a nice blog post on Silent Trinity, which has some of these detection mechanisms that I just um, talked about. So that's, I guess it's an interesting thing to look at. And Luke Jenning, who also works at Countercept, did an awesome blue hat talk about uh, this kind of stuff in the, his uh, memory resident implants code injection is alive and will talk, which is something to look at. So like in terms of detection mechanisms, really you have, you, your, only, your only option as of right now is ETW. And e- using ETW, you can see like all of the assemblies being loaded in memory, in real time, but that is also a fragile detection mechanism because you're essentially triggering unknown malicious class names. So what you'll see with ETW, from at least my understanding of it, is just the actual class names of the libraries being loaded. So really all you need to do is, that's just signature detection at that point. You just change the class name and you're good. Um, So there's that. Also like not having an image backing, when you look at assemblies being loaded, um, they're like, you can tell straight off the bat, which ones have been reflectively loaded in memory and which ones are not. So like having assemblies that don't have an image backing on disc, um, is sort of an, like you can potentially use that as like a starting point for like IOC. So like you have to combine multiple things together in order to really detect this right now. Awesome. Marcelo, uh, any, uh, closing thoughts? I that I don't think so. I really encourage though, like people to look into .NET because it is freaking amazing. Like the the more I I learn about .NET, just it just keeps blowing my mind. And our listeners can find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash b h i s securityweekly.com forward slash B-H-I-S to get more information about this. We'll post all of the relevant materials uh, and links to things on that page. Marcelo, thank you for coming back to Security Weekly and uh, telling us more about uh, how Silent Trinity works. It's pretty awesome stuff. Anytime. Thank you for having me. And with that, we will take a short break, come back, and bring in our next special guest. Stay tuned. 